0: Welcome to the Sex God and Chaos Podcast, a conversation built to help you address the mess, connect the dots, and defeat addiction. Doing your work matters because if nothing changes, then nothing changes. Life is tough and we're here to help. I'm your host, Ben Derek, and as always, I'll be joined by Ron Hunter. Let's jump right in. Well, Roan, here we are starting the podcast about sex, God, and chaos.
1: Yeah, looking forward to see where we go with this. What thing. a title. What a
0: title. <laughs> Who knows what you know about any of these topics, but we'll give it a shot, right? That's right. So I yeah. think, you know, if I'm just tuning into this podcast, the title enough is it's intriguing on its own. But I'd love to know, you know, you have a very chaotic story, and if somebody's gonna start talking to me about my chaos, I wanna know that they have the ability to address that firsthand. So, if you would just share with us a little bit about kind of your backstory, I know a phrase you use is being raised by wolves and <laughs> getting into that. I mean, it's such a fascinating your upbringing is a little bit insane.
1: Uh, it is, uh, and it was chaos. Um, and uh, you know, the title uh, of our podcast uh, ties in with our book that even I wrote, uh, "Sex, God, and the Chaos of Betrayal," um, and it's the basically the prop the the Process of healing and recovery from uh, sexual addiction, pornography, infidelity, um, and anything along those lines uh, in relationship where there's some form of betrayal. And for me, uh, the way that it started for me, my parents divorced when I was eight years old. Um, I grew up out in the middle of nowhere in Mississippi. That's uh,
0: uh, everywhere in Mississippi. That's right? all.
1: That's all it is, <laughs> right? Yeah, small towns and nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh I had two older brothers that were four and five years older. uh My parents divorced when I was eight years old, and we basically were kind of turned out at that point um I really began running with them when I was ten years old, and so by that time they're fourteen and fifteen years old, and my oldest brother we we had a we had wheels and so I ran with them um and they're buddies that were the same age. Uh, and that's why I always say I was raised by wolves, because I ran with the wolf pack. Um, and there was some good in that. Uh, they certainly were my protectors, uh, but they were also my terrorists. You know, the, the runt of the litter.
0: Right.
1: Yeah, kind of gets the brunt of uh, all the good stuff. And so w- that was just kind of growing up. Um, uh, very little parental um, involvement, supervision. Um, curfew boundary structure and you just kind of learn to figure it out um and and i did uh, my mother's attitude was boys will be boys uh we had porn on the bedside table um because it was just that was what boys do and um and then of course drinking you know that's that's all you do in small town mississippi you know you ride the roads and drink beer and you know you know, shoot something, maybe a deer, whatever. Um, and, and so drinking started at like 12 years old. The porn thing was already there. And then, um, at 15, uh, started, uh, dating my future wife, uh, Eva. And of course the way this thing works, you know, uh, it begins to escalate. And so it's, you know, masturbation, porn, and then, uh, sex with girls, um, and even I, our relationship was pretty chaotic. Uh, obviously, uh, I had no structure and no rules. And, uh, she grew up in a, in a good, uh, conservative, uh, Baptist home. And, uh, It was all rules for her. So she meets me, and I think that's why she was attracted to me, that that could be the only reason. Definitely
0: wasn't your appearance. Yeah,
1: yeah, because she could come to my house and get a beer out of the refrigerator um, because we had no rules, and all she had was lots of rules, and relationship was not um, that important, which is typical in growing up in a rigid kind of religious uh, system. um, And then... Uh, We date through high school, and um, it's just, we would break up and get back together, and you know, the porn thing for me was kind of always, it was there, Um, and then uh, we decided uh, in going into our freshman year uh, at college, we decided that, um, uh, well, our freshman year, that summer before, um, we had an abortion, and that was really the, uh, you know, the the big T traumas in my life. Uh, The first one was parents divorcing at eight years old. Um, And then the abortion was the second big T trauma. Um, And Eva suffered from full-blown PTSD, which is pretty common uh, somewhere in the neighborhood in the 80 percentile. Women that have abortions suffer with full-blown PTSD. And of course, in our sexually broken world, nobody talks about that. And so... She's just pinging. Um, It was kind of more chaotic. And uh, I'm like a deer in the headlights at this point. We don't know anything. We're, you know, 18, 19 years old. Right. And just pretty clueless about all this stuff. And and so going into our um, senior year at State, we decided to fix it all and um, let's get married. That'll fix it, right?
0: The ultimate solution.
1: Oh yeah, because that's going to take care of my porn problem, of course. Because then you get married, you have all the sex you want, and you don't need that.
0: You sound a little sarc- sarcastic. Is you that- know,
1: I don't know. I I <laughs> I, I sat with uh, thousands of guys over the years, and we all think that, but you know, that's not reality. Got it? Yeah. Um, so and, you're
0: living this? Oh, you know, at living this
1: point. it out. Oh yeah, and um, you know what happens? You know, one of the drivers with this. Um, sexual addiction, porn addiction, all of it, one of the drivers is medicating our anxiety. We don't know that, but boy, do we ever love and figure it out, Uh, because it actually works uh, as it works, and that's why we will get hooked on it, and it will become compulsive, and uh, mine certainly was, and then if anxiety is the driver, you know, when you get married, there's no stress, right? It's stress free living after you get married.
0: No one tells you this uh, it's an anxiety multiplier. And yeah,
1: exactly yeah. Uh, it's, for
0: both parties. It,
1: it, it's like with porn, I always talk about you know, it's like the alcoholic that it medicates his depression with alcohol, which is a depressant, a depressant right? <laughs> yeah, and you know for porn addicts or or porn users, uh, we are medicating our anxiety with an anxiety producing, type of behavior because of all the excitement chemical chemicals the dopamine everything that's going on in the brain the anxiety is just is is cranking and then of course orgasm uh it soothes that anxiety so we're actually kind of creating the need for the fix and but nobody understands that until you actually begin to get into uh Your growth mode and begin to change it.
0: Well, and we should say at this point, you you guys are pacing through this uh, long before this is a part of the common vernacular. I mean, you're basically out there trying to figure it out by yourself. Oh,
1: yeah. Well, I came to Jesus um, when I was a sophomore at State. And I always say that um, was—I was serious because as a 20-year-old frat boy, I gave up drinking, cussing, and smoking. Now, that's some serious Jesus stuff right there. So
0: what would you do with all your time? I don't don't understand.
1: (laughs) You had to figure something out. (laughs) Well, what we started doing was going to church, right? Uh. Because that's going to fix it. And, um, man, we did uh, from day one. Uh, involved in churches uh, along the way, and I, I'm 60 years old and still involved in church, although I do believe the church system is completely broken, and I believe you have to be involved to engage it and try to change it, mm. which is sometimes like beating your head against the wall trying to change that system. Um, and so we we wound up getting married, and then um, my sexual addiction, and again, as you said, None of these terms, uh, Dr. Patrick Carnes, who we've done our uh, CSAT training under, we'll talk about that a little bit later, um, he coined that term in the kind of the mid-'80s in his first book that he wrote, Out of the Shadows. And so this was 1990. Uh, Eve and I are living in Atlanta. Uh, My sexual addiction had escalated. I'd tried uh, several geographic cures. Graduated from college, uh, lived in the Mobile, Alabama area, and um, the acting out began to escalate, which is the typical progression, uh, is the escalation uh, behaviors. And so I was going to strip joints and massage parlors and then ultimately prostitutes. Now, this was all hidden and all secret. Um, because I was a very good—I wanted to be a very good Christian and churchgoer. Mm. And, um, you know, I would sit in church, and I'd never heard anybody talk about their lust problem or they used to have a lust problem or they thought about a lust problem. (laughs) Nobody. Nowhere. No, Nothing. uh, Not even
0: your pastor? Oh,
1: weird, right? (laughs) Yeah. And so, you know, I'm sitting in there in church and not hearing anything, and I'm just dying on the inside. Because I'm thinking, I must be the only guy. Like when they walk down that aisle and take them behind that curtain, I think they must... There must be some kind of castration or something, because because nobody else was dealing with this except for me, mm. and and I'm literally dying um, because ultimately this thing is a soul issue. It affects we call it multifaceted. It affects every aspect of our soul, and that's why even Paul writes in you know First Corinthians in chapter six where he talks about. Um, sexuality and sexual sin, um, it is deeper, right, because of the affect that it has on every part of who we are, the God stamp on our life. And, you know, that sermon gets preached like if you're a sexual sinner, you're the worst of the worst, Mm -hmm. and you're definitely going to hell, and there's really no hope for you. That's the way it gets preached, but that's not what Paul is saying at all. Um, it's more about the depth of of how this affects us, and so i'm sitting out there and uh just dying and um, even and I are at this point uh we had moved from Mobile uh to nashville uh we were living in we lived in Nashville for about a year and then we um I got transferred uh, I was in corporate sales world. And I wound up in Atlanta. And so I'm 27 years old. Eve and I are standing uh, just in our kitchen. We weren't fighting. We weren't arguing. At this time, we had our two sons. Uh, They were uh, almost two and almost four. Um, And Eve was asking me, why are you so down? What's going on? And God moved because the words came out of my mouth. "Um, Honey, I have a problem with pornography. Now, I know that was God, because if it had been me, I would have said, honey, I have a problem with geography. I can't read a map, and it's just so depressing, (laughs) right? Right. Because there was no way in hell I was ever going to tell her. Uh, I was trying to figure this thing out on my own, and certainly I was not going to tell my wife, and so those words came out of my mouth, and... That was really the beginning of my journey when God moved in that way because I literally remember like looking behind me, going, "Who said that?" Mm. Because just based on that, she loaded up our two sons, and uh, I mean, she she flipped out, loaded up our two sons, and came back home to Mississippi to Mama. And I'm standing there going, "Oh crap!" Because there was a whole lot more. And so that began my journey of seeking uh, Christian counseling um, and then getting into recovery. And, you know, that was one good thing about living in Atlanta. This was 1990. And as you mentioned earlier, there was very little out there around sexual addiction, certainly porn addiction. Uh, You know, the Internet had not come along. Uh, porn addiction was real, but we had these things called magazines. It's mm, like say uh, more. I know you young guys don't know what that is. It's like it's just paper and there's ink and yeah you know, pictures. Crazy. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, uh, and so very little out there. And um, but but living in Atlanta, I got connected with. Um, it was actually Dr. Doug Rosenau. Uh, he is one of the pioneers in Christian sex therapy not sexual addiction. But at that point, Doug was probably one of the best people to go to in the country um, just because of his knowledge around healthy sexuality. And certainly, he had seen the compulsive nature of porn and, and, and acting out sexually. And so I engaged with Doug. And then um, right about that time, it was one of the first um, way before Celebrate Recovery or anything, um, it, was, um, it was one of the first Christ-centered uh, recovery and support group ministries in the country. Uh, Bill Morris was an LPC, um, and he started this uh, ministry, and uh, it was a game changer for me because that's where I got plugged in and began to understand the power of connection. Uh, because to me, that is the critical aspect in in recovery for any of us, because connection is the cure. And man, that was just a God thing that I was there, got connected with Bill on the very front end, and uh, became a, I don't know, our our term that we used was trusted servants, which I like a whole lot better than leader in Christian world, because leader is a dangerous term. Um, And so we uh, that ministry began, and I was on the front end, and uh, it's where I learned how to do groups. I learned uh, the importance of connection, and Bill actually wrote a book called The Complete Handbook uh, for Recovery and Support Group Ministry in the Church. It was like a real book. Uh, Thomas Nelson published it, and those of us that were there in the beginning got to write a little piece, um, just kind of our story. Uh, So I've been a published author for many, many years.
0: (laughs) As you're quick to tell people. (laughs) Of course. Yeah, so taking just a pause right here in the story, I think the thing that this is making me understand at a new level is that you've lived all of this and have kind of had to make your way, you and Eva both, through what recovery looks like and wanting to use faith in the church and that system to help you along. It disappoints you in a lot of ways, uh, in, the, in, in ways that it shouldn't have. It should have had an answer, but it didn't have an answer. So this sets you guys off charting your own course with the help of some trusted advisors that move in that uh, thank God he was up to something during this time, mm-hmm. uh, predominantly outside of the church. Uh, But fast forwarding, you guys just commit to this journey of health. It goes perfectly, and within six months, everything's better. Yeah, we're all good. (laughs) Right. So it takes a a very long time for you guys to navigate this, but we should say uh, you guys are in a place of health in your marriage, and you're actually poised and have been for decades now helping other couples not go through that experience that you went through. Because in a lot of ways we have a different scenario, but it's the same result. There's so much information out there that is not great information. uh, That's based in a lot of the ways that our society is confused about sex and God in general.
1: Totally, Um, you know. So, Eva winds up. She comes back, and then it was uh, like two years of living hell. Uh, We, she just she was locked in. Wanted a divorce, and. Um, she was not willing. We would go to counseling, and um, Doug would like, of course, you know, I'm the problem, and he, I mean, he's working with me, and and then he would kind of shine the spotlight over there on Eva, and she would um, say, "I'm fine. <laughs> he's the problem. He's why we're here. Fix him." Because he would, like, you know, want to talk about, you know, growing up and her dad being an alcoholic and how that affected her. And then he would talk about you know, the abortion, and she was like, I'm over that. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm over that. Um, he's the problem. Fix him. And uh always joke, now that I sit on the other side of the couch in the chair— um, we call that in counseling world long-term revenue because ain't much going to happen there, right? <laughs>
0: That's it, a repeat it, customer. Yeah,
1: there's no such thing as marriage counseling, by the way. It's two individuals that are willing to do their own work. And at that point, she was not. And so uh, I finally just relented um, after two years of living that way because she's dealing now with complex trauma based on the uh, growing up alcoholic father the abortion, PTSD, and now it's complex because she was dealing with full-blown betrayal trauma. And again, back in, this was ninety ninety two, there was nothing out there. Uh, betrayal trauma really didn't come around until uh, probably the late 90s, 2000, um, is when that began to be a thing. But nobody dealt with what we call the partner of sexual addiction Um, and they suffer from betrayal trauma, which absolutely is very real. Um, So we divorced, and during that time is when Eva had her grace awakening, as we call it. Um, She went to an adult children of alcoholics meeting at the urging of her mother, and um, her mother had gotten into Al-Anon, and so they gave her the laundry list of the characteristics of an adult child of an alcoholic, and for some reason... Light bulb goes off. Mm. And she goes down that list, and she had every one of them. And she began to understand her contribution to the dynamics of the relationship. We always say there's four Cs uh, with this type of um, recovery around betrayal. Um, Number one, the partner did not cause it. They cannot change it. They cannot control it. And then the fourth c is what's the contribution to the dynamics of the relationship because that's the intimacy disorder that we call it. And so Eva began to look at her contribution in the dynamics and the things that she was doing that contributed to just the, what we call the intimacy disorder. And so we started talking and we reconciled uh, eventually and uh, remarried. Um, we were part... I call it our marriage sabbatical. Uh, we were we were <laughs> separated and divorced uh, a little over, right about a year. And then um, we reconciled, and our commitment was that we were going to do our work. And we got both engaged. Uh, Eva had her counselor. I was seeing Doug. Uh, we would see Doug and her counselor together. Uh, we always laugh when we do these men's coaching weekends, and a guy will say something like, man i tried that counseling thing and you know i went i went like two times and it just didn't do any good and i'm like yeah we went two times a week uh for uh, probably two years uh, mm-hmm. plus our individual work, and we're both involved in groups and and then we backed off, you know. And we went uh, once a week for, for another couple of years. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, that yeah. But I tried it two times.
0: Huge misconceptions around well, well, yes, work. Yeah,
1: because you know, with all this stuff, you're dealing with fundamental, even spiritual formation and belief system. I mean, it this this stuff goes to the roots of even who we are and and just to think that you're going to go sit with a counselor and you know two or three times and yeah just going to change everything it just doesn't work that way
0: I totally resonate with what those guys say though because you've had to say to me in certain contexts like man you've spent 38 years believing this you're not going to break this in 2 hours yeah this, this is going to take some time oh you know? yeah uh, and a lot of that is so you can afford yourself some grace to say cuz most of that is shame and embarrassment totally like I should have this figured out. It's been two hours. You're like that's not how this works. You know, this is going to take a minute. So you guys double down. You commit to your work, and uh, things start changing. And oh, yeah. you get called into this or led into this helper profession.
1: Absolutely. Uh, you know, which yeah. is
0: awesome and has gone well and has resulted in so many great things. And here we are talking about a book that you guys have released where you're really addressing, and this I love this conversation because it's explaining why this title and why your approach in this book is so bold and so direct.
1: Yeah, because we've lived it, you know, this stuff that we're talking about, we didn't just, you know, go to counseling school and, and read it in a book.
0: The magic counseling school. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, that's going to that's gonna <laughs> really help. You know, we always say it's like, you know, the first question you need to ask a counselor if you're going to go to counseling First question you need to ask is, you know, tell me about the work that you've done. Because if they've not done their work, um, they are they are probably not going to be helpful and may even be more destructive than what you're already dealing with. Um, and I don't, that's not an indictment on the profession, but maybe it could be. Mm. Um, because it's so important. Um, and, you know, we, I was already involved in that ministry, the support group recovery ministry and... I mean, I'm. I wound up, you know, and especially in groups dealing with sex addiction, um, the the turnover rate in those groups is. Uh, it's uh, I call it fruit basket turnover because if you had if you don't go to group for about six months, you'll walk in and go, man, it's a whole new group of guys. Mm. <laughs> Where are the old guys? It, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and so I just by default uh, became the leader, trusted servant, um, leading that that. We called it Sex Addicts Victorious. Now you got to want recovery to go into a group that Sex, says, addicts, sex victorious. addicts Victorious. So what do you do here? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. What's this about? Yeah, it's uh, choir practice. And so um, I always say, you know, my qualifications uh, to 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 lead uh, that group or even the groups I do today, I tell them, you know, my qualifications are that that I am able to keep up with the key to the door. I I don't lose the key, so I'm long qualified. Term. That's yeah. right. And I can yeah, I I can do it over a long period of time. Um and so we were already engaged in that and Eva was in um, the codependence victorious at the time and and then we just you know, we're involved in church and and we begin meeting with uh, couples. I'm meeting with men. She's meeting with women. And then we would meet with couples that are dealing with this. And uh, we were not getting paid for it. That's. I think that might be called ministry. Yeah, that's right? called church work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, you get paid for it. You get paid to do it. Yeah. We, I was not getting paid.
0: Oh, you were a volunteer.
1: Double suck. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> you get paid to be nice and meet with people. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, But you're not a nice guy. No. Um, no. Um, that's why I love you. <laughs> Uh, and so we were already engaged in that, and then certainly in the process of just, man, you know, I was so fortunate of just the mentors and the guides and the people that God brought into my life that that encouraged me into truly God's calling. Um, and then we wound up, you know, that's why we do what we do today. Um, went back to school and did all the counseling stuff and it got licensed and um, and then we're also both even I both are uh, certified sex addiction therapists. Uh, we're supervisors in that world. Uh, it's through the International Institute of Trauma and Addiction Professionals, Doctor Patrick Carnes. Um, and so, not only are we counselors, that is almost like another master's degree. Uh, and then we're also certified through the um, uh, True Certified Sex Addiction Specialist international or clinical uh, sex addiction specialist international so we've got an additional certification and they were also um, clinical members of the American Board of Christian Sex Therapists which is uh, Doug Dr. Doug Rosenhaus' organization and so that's on the more the healthy sexuality side so we're working with the 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 dark side uh, in the recovery from this stuff, and then we 're also the goal of course is healthy Christian sexuality um, and that 's just something that is sorely needed in church today because this sexual broken sexually broken culture uh, we can 't live in it and not be affected by it, and certainly Christians are in just a lot of distorted thinking. And so really, that's kind of our journey of kind of why we do what we do today. And, and then the writing the book is just our process, the roadmap that we came up with, because uh, when couples are at this level of crisis, I don't believe there's any greater crisis in a marriage than when betrayal occurs, um, maybe the death of a child, of course, but but there's no greater crisis in the coupleship, in the relationship than when betrayal happens. And so we're, we're, we're like the Hellfighters, uh, which is the old movie, uh, John Wayne did about the story of Red Adair and his team that go in and put out the oil well fires. They just, they charge right into the fire and cap that oil well. And that's kind of the level of where we're working with in marriages, because it is major crisis.
0: Um, I think a, a big part of that, I, I'm going to interrupt you there, yeah. because I think so many of our listeners, that's going to be a big place of freedom, mm. to understand that there's the, there's a place that people have to operate when this sort of thing goes on. Um, because what we believe is, like you said before, this is, I'm the only one, this doesn't oh. happen, nobody's talking about it. It can be very orienting and calming, in the beginning at least, to know, okay, there are guides in this space that know how this goes, that understand how it feels, you and Eva are two of those people, where you can sit someone down and say, all right, we can tell you how to get through this. We can guide you how to get through this. Let me just orient you to this process right now. And it does feel, and I want to get to the title here if we can, it does feel like you've got this cocktail of we have this sexual betrayal we've grown up around faith that hasn't really addressed this and we're in the most chaotic part of our lives where a lot of our previous trauma as you mentioned with Eva and your own is kind of rushed into this relationship so when people read the title of the book they may think wow that's a pretty sensational title but really it's a descriptor wouldn't you say of what happens as sexual addiction begins to invade your adult life in new ways and all the relational connectivity that you have.
1: Oh uh, absolutely, uh, because it is it 's basically a disordered soul, um, and you know originally psychology was the study of the soul i don 't know what it is today um, but but all of those facets uh, are affected with this stuff and and then when we 're living kind of this disordered dysfunctional um, existence it it 's just chaos you know there 's depression there 's anxiety there 's fear there 's um, you know, keeping secrets. Uh, I, I mean, that's that's not the way that a human being was designed to function. So it's very chaotic uh, before discovery. And then when discovery happens, when all hell breaks loose, now it is total chaos because, um, man, you've got two people that are completely emotionally dysregulated because that's one of the things in the addiction, whether it's porn, whether it's sex, whatever, um, you know we're we're medicating our emotions, and now, when discovery happens, uh, I use the term even discovery trauma for the addict because it's it's traumatic when it gets found out. Uh, you thought you were going to take this thing to your grave, and now poof, here it is and so there's trauma there and um and then for the partner uh, there's betrayal trauma, and it's just totally, um, just emotionally, two emotionally dysregulated people, and it is chaos. And, you know, our process kind of speaks into that chaos to where we can tell a couple, if you work this process, if you trust this process, you can not only survive this, but you can have the marriage that God intended you to have, and it's going to take work. It's going to be painful. It's not going to be quick. Uh, all that's reality. Um, and then a lot of the time that we spend early on is just we're working to comfort the hurt of the partner that's been betrayed. And that that's a problem. We don't jump right in. We're we're you know there's a lot of just kind of we got to put out the we do the fire drills of the week and and but we're really working to kind of comfort that hurt and to create a safe space because uh, the partner is just spinning because nothing feels safe. And and we keep a focus on the coupleship. A lot of times people recommend you go to your therapist and you go to your therapist. And, and that's okay, but there's no focus on the coupleship. And so we're trying to get them in the room together at least maybe 10 minutes, 15 minutes, um, either on the front end of a session or the back end, to get the couple in the room together. Because if they're both coming and they're both wanting to um, uh, reconcile or survive this, um, you've got to have a focus on the coupleship, which a lot of the way it works in a lot of cases, that's not there. And so we're keeping a focus on that. And then the work that we do even in the process is, again, it's individual work in a group session because you got four people in the room, even and I, and, and then the couple. And and we're, we're taking them through kind of their own history. We call it collecting the dots, connecting the dots, and then we're going to correct the dots. But there's so much in that process. And, and the thing that's always amazing is how they may know some facts about the other persons growing up, but they've never stood, understood the impact of it. And they certainly have not understood the track that it set them on. So we're really moving towards true intimacy of knowing and being known in this process. And that's what we call the intimacy disorder. It's a movement from that to true intimacy in the marriage that God designed or wanted uh, for all of us.
0: The big part of this that I think is just so striking here in episode one as I'm listening to you talk, like man, this is a really complex issue. Mm. Uh, but when you're walking through it, it doesn't feel complex. It's like stop masturbating, <laughs> yeah. Stop looking at porn. Stop going to the strip club. You know, it's like this is a pretty A to B. Oh yeah. And you walk into this process, and maybe even people are taking in this this episode, or they've gotten involved with the book, and like man, uh, even from page one, as you guys dig into your story, it's like whoa, there are a lot of factors here. That can be really freeing to help people hear like, hey, yeah, obviously you want to solve the acute issue. But in order to really solve that long term, we've got to look at all the complexity, not only the things that you uh, are bringing into the marriage, but that your partner's bringing into the marriage. And believe it or not, your your caretakers or your parents are kind of in the house every day inside of your marriage. That's a, that's a new revelation for a lot of people mm-hmm. uh, because we hear inside of church, no, no, we, we leave and cleave. The two became one. Oh, like, yeah. It's all yeah, good. One with the family tree. That's what you <laughs> became one with, you know? So I think people listening, I, I guess we're just trying to convey here as we're laying out the, the stage here, there, there is hope to move through a process that includes sexual addiction, where you've sprinkled a little God in there and it didn't work you're still experiencing the chaos or the fallout of previous trauma. All of this language can be very important to be able to use with your partner as you're walking through it, to be able to use with your therapist as you're working through the process. Uh, so I guess I'd just love to hear your answer as we're wrapping up this episode. Mm-hmm. You know, is there hope for a healthy relationship with these three things? Can I have a healthy relationship with sex? Is it possible that I could enter into a relationship with a loving God. And can I, maybe the biggest question, if life is going to be chaotic, I mean, Jesus was very upfront about that. Uh, There's a lot of trouble in the world. Mm. You know, that's my paraphrase. Um, (laughs) I have these three things uh, that are essentially unavoidable. Can I be in healthy relationship with those three things?
1: Oh, I certainly um just I, I say absolutely yes because I've I've lived it and uh not only have I lived it, I've gotten to experience and observe and watch others begin to live that out. And and it is uh it it's not simple. Um it's kinda like golf, you know, it it it's a simple game, you know, it's a, a stick, a tee and a ball, right? Yeah, but as you if you anybody's ever played golf, it's not that simple. It's mm. complex because of all the, you know, intricacies that are associated with this. And and certainly uh engaging in the process, trusting the process, um it, it there's so much hope. Um but again, not easy. It, there will be trouble. Um and you know, one of the things that's just interesting um like finding somebody that knows how to work with this uh in the helping profession um is 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 rare because counselors uh in graduate work usually get maybe uh one course on sexuality one semester
0: that can't be true
1: it's very true and and then pastors um Sometimes wait. Okay. Let me
0: take this one. Yeah, that's
1: yeah. How much <laughs> training did you get?
0: No courses. Zero. Yes. Yeah, I spent more time uh, in a pool at a seminary campus learning how to baptize than yeah. talking about actually any relational issue.
1: Yeah. Oh It yeah. was
0: it was all theological and practical of how to do the job. Mm-hmm. And, and I went to a great school. Yeah. But that was the emphasis. We have to prepare you. For the expectations that are ahead of you, yeah, at an organizational level, the relational level was largely ignored.
1: Oh yeah, and and so you know, and people seek out pastors um, more so than counselors uh, for the you know on the you know when this stuff happens, they'll go to their faith uh, leader.
0: Yeah, according and, to stats, one hundred and fifty percent more likely to yeah, pursue clergy than a counselor than a
1: counselor. And yeah. so now. You know, at least a counselor got one semester on sexuality, (laughs) and now you're going to see somebody that got nothing. No, nothing, yeah. Yeah, and probably is struggling with it in his own life, right? Mm -hmm. And it's the same way with counselors, and that's why this question of, like, tell me about your work, if they've not done work around their sexuality and sex and all that, um, and again, the the culture is so broken, you know, our preferred term is not even sexual addiction. Uh, the term that we work with uh, is sexual brokenness. And the culture is just completely upside down, backwards, and broken when it comes to sex. And so you're seeking help from people that are just kind of in the same boat as you are.
0: Yeah, but we, we would say, and just to kind of seal this up here, because, you know, I'm I'm excited about where this conversation is going to go over the life of this podcast because there's so much to talk about, so many wires to uncross, and so many people that are desperate to get the help that you and even this book are offering. Uh, but the the answer is yes, that you can get to a life that is healthy with these things. It's just going to take a little bit of work. And thankfully, and I say this uh, just as uh, an indicator of our friendship, you've helped me walk through a lot of this stuff uh, that was... Highly concealed, even from me. Yeah. Even in a healthy marriage,
1: quote unquote. Yeah.
0: Even as a pastor, even as well. No, I don't have anything that's going to make me lose my job or go to jail. That's going on in my story right now. <laughs> uh, but I'm wrecking my marriage and destroying my wife. And I had to get honest about that. Yeah. Uh, because my wife got honest first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. a story for another day. <laughs> uh, but there is healing available. And there's a process, a proven process that I think the book shows page after page after page. But even more than that, the thousands of people that have received help through through LifeWorks and what you guys have put together, couples that have not um, regained the marriage they had before, replaced the marriage they had Amen. before. Yeah. And uh, so the peop- what the people are going to be able to hear and learn, what we're going to discover together, it's going to be awesome. Yeah. So let's, let's do this. Let's take the deep dive. There's always, this is what I appreciate the most about you is, uh, I can be convinced that you're just a dumb Mississippian, but you pull out a book where you're like, trust me, I've read some smart people. Yeah,
1: that's it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So let's take the deep dive. Let's say that I've been intrigued enough, like, okay, this is a complex scenario. And I do have a cocktail in my life of chaos and sex and a little bit of God when I feel really ashamed and guilty, um. What are people saying or what's, what's a quote that's made an impact on you or a resource that maybe someone could dig into as they start this journey?
1: Yeah, I I just always, you know, even I usually when we do a talk or anything, uh, the one thing that we uh, say over and over is this idea. I would say, well, two things. You know, good mental health, good mental, emotional, spiritual health lives in reality. And that's a quote from M. Scott Peck that's been around uh, for a while. But, but you've got to get to reality. You've got to get honest with yourself. You've got to get honest with those in your life. And you've got to get honest with others, which leads me to my second point. The cure for what ails us, whatever it is, the cure is connection on a deep level. Not kind of what we do at church. Hey, man, how are you? Great, good, fine, see you next Sunday. That's not deep connection. Mm-hmm.
0: That may be worth repeating, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Lobby to lobby, see you next Sunday. Or maybe once a month, you know, yeah. as, a, as life picks up, you know, the regular attendance in a church service. Because I do think that's a myth, and we're going to, over the episodes, we're going to bust a lot of myths. Amen. But maybe that's the first one we should take head on, is that if you're trying to use the current religious, maybe we should say Western religious church system yeah. to solve these sorts of problems, you're only going to frustrate the people in the system and especially yourself. <laughs>
1: A hundred percent. Yeah, because again, just in my story, I was in it and I tried everything that they said to do from the pulpit, right? You know, read your Bible more and pray harder, which I think means grunt. When you pray, maybe you could help me with that sometime. I'm not sure. Uh, I tried it. I grunted when I prayed. It's mostly I prayed about harder. being
0: physically expressive, even though everyone's eyes are closed. Yeah, okay, yeah. Good. But the grunt you're referencing is the oh. uh, the Christian.
1: Mm. Mm. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. I got a lot of that. Um, but yeah, you know, all those things that you would hear about dealing with sin, I, man. I and I'm a reader, uh, and I I would read and try and do and did, none of it worked. Yeah. Until I came out um, into the light. Yeah, and wise point.
0: Right. Yeah, so yeah. at this point, just driving uh, people to another book or another quote, probably um, the bravest thing someone could do would be to pursue environments where you're engaging with other people honestly about mm. where you've been or where you are,
1: you know, which is
0: a terrifying prospect. But it is. Good luck convincing me to do that. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's... But once you do it, it's almost like a drug. Because you feel seen maybe for the first time in your life.
1: Yeah, and I think that's what I mean, that's what Jesus offers over and over. You know, first time he ever speaks in public, uh, he rolls out the scroll of Isaiah and he talks about he came to set the captives free, and it is for our freedom that he came. Now, the Sunday school answers he came to save us. Well, yeah, he did that. But he's talking about life here and now, life today, the abundant life that he offers, the way, the truth, and the life. And man, um, coming out into the light, getting honest with yourself, that is the way of freedom. That's how it works.
0: To learn more about what you've heard today and to engage with the Sex, God, and Chaos team, visit sexgodchaos.com.